What's up, folks? On today's coaching call, we have a salesperson from, uh, I'm not going to say the name here. We'll say it later. I think the very common occupation within our investor group, I think a lot of you folks are engineers and maybe you're getting out of that technical sphere and maybe going into the sales size of the engineering. We've got a lot of pure sales people. We've got a lot of pilots. We've got a lot of some firefighters too. And I think a lot of this is the ingredients of high incomes, the doctors, the dentists, the pharmacists, and some time to think. And I think if you part of this whole journey into alternative investments, you've got to in the world a little bit. As I use the analogy a lot, it's like the Wizard of Oz. If you watch the Wizard of Oz, they peek around that curtain and the wizard is don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain. And that's really what all these traditional investments that, you know, just everybody tells you to go to school, study hard, work hard, and put your money into all these traditional investments, where in actuality, the big companies are just taking all the money and fees away from you. And you're left with hopefully five to 8% returns. And you're also paying high taxes because it's all ordinary income, portfolio income, to be specific. What we want to get you to is from traditional investments to or, to alternative investments for two reasons. First, better returns. And secondly, what you're going to be doing is changing the color of your money from ordinary portfolio income, which is bad, to passive income. And why? Because you can use the passive losses and you can use that to offset your passive income. We've got a fund right now. It's pretty much never been done before. We're taking the passive losses that we're getting from the asset and we are giving it to investors. And unlike most deals where you have to recapture the depreciation, in this deal, me as the general partner is going to be backing up that and absorbing that for you. So what that means, you put in $100,000, you get $100,000 of passive activity losses, PALS, to do what you want with it, of course. That's where I am. You need to talk with your CPA. And if you need a referral, we've always got folks to connect you guys with. And we're also working with some newer people these days too within the FOOM. At this point, now you can use these passive activity losses as tools to lower your adjusted gross income to whatever you want. It used to be, I would tell folks, and especially if you're starting, I would still say, try and drive your income down to 340 at least. And I'm talking to the high income earners. Lately, I've been saying, really, there's no reason why you shouldn't drive it to $200,000 AGI or maybe even less. It's your, it's up to you to really drive it down to whatever you want. I've had the conversation with my personal CPA years ago where he drive my income down to zero because a lot of my income these days is passive income. And therefore, I don't need rep status to lower my income because passive losses drives down passive income easy all day long. But if this is all new to you guys, book that free onboarding call with myself, simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. Just fill out the little form. I think the thing that holds a lot of people up is that part where you need to put in your social media or LinkedIn. That's just so we know you're a real person and you're not just some like internet bot. We want to get to know you <laughs> just like how you guys want to get to know us. Take a little time, a couple of minutes, fill out that form and we'll get to know each other personally a little bit better. Enjoy the show. And if you guys like these calls and you want to sign up for a full hour long one for yourself, let the team know and we'll set something up and we'll maybe even make up a cool fake name for you if you're one of those people. But anyway, thanks for listening, folks. Thanks for all the support and enjoy the show. Bye. 
This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, simple passive cash flow listeners. Today we have another coaching call. We have a not a credit investor, but makes a pretty good salary, definitely a six-figure salary. And able to put away almost six figures a year, Mike. That's good for you, man. But yeah, tell us a little bit how about yourself. What are you doing for work these days? And tell us about your lifestyle a little bit, and then we'll get started digging in. And you started to buy these rental properties one by one. But yeah, just give us some context before we start diving in. Sure. No, definitely appreciate the opportunity to learn from you here and share a little of my journey. Currently in the medical sales field. So that's my W-2, as you can call it. It's full commission, so it's definitely competitive, but it allows me to bring home a substantial income that helps me direct it into real estate. Real estate journey started close to about 10 years ago now, but really just started with that first home. All of my homes, and we're up to nine now, are all single family. All- I guess going back yeah. to the job, I don't know if this is true, but I'm going to guess it's Netronic since I have four or five other investors that work for that company. But whatever it is, if people don't know medical uh, sales, it's big commission, big dollars. These guys make two to 500000 a year. You wouldn't think so. But I guess don't tell everybody your secret, Mike. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's big dollars, right? And it can be, it's a sales job, so it can be pretty time intensive, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely rewards to it, but I don't have a set nine to five schedule. There's times I'm waking up at three in the morning to go into a hospital. Times I'm waking up two in the afternoon because I slept all night, like a normal nine to five. It really just uh, depends, but the rewards are there. Work hard and the commission's behind it. All right. So yeah, tell us a little bit about, let me put your real estate owned, your REO schedule here. Take us back to, you started to buy this stuff in about five years ago. Take us back and to where you were at and, and how you got started picking up these rental properties. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I think a good place to start is just was fortunate enough to come across a mentor like yourself, I could see here and just opened my eyes. At that time, I was 20 years old. What is cash flow? What's OI? What are these different terminologies that we use? Like a lot of people exposed me to Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Cash Flow Quadrants, different books that changed my mind, which was great. And when I came out of college, my degree is actually in construction management engineering. I went to work for a roofing company, which was full commission, which was great. And I was still living at home. The few years before that, I went to an education seminar. We spent $15,000, $20,000 on education, but was happy to do it knowing that I was committed. And then it all came down to that first, one of the first properties you see there acquired in 2014 for about $15,000. So a lot harder to get those types of homes now, but I had the capital and not knowing enough, but knowing enough to be dangerous, I decided to just pay 15000 acquire it whole front. So worst case scenario on my $500 a month rent, I would have to come up with the taxes or the insurance for the year. So that's really where it started. You can dive deeper on that if you'd and like. Tell me a little bit about not really the property, but like at the time, how much money did you make at your day job? This is what, five, six years ago? And then maybe tell us a little bit insight into that mentorship program. Was it worth it? If you would have done it again, or if you had a buddy, would you recommend the same path? Sure. 
So when I was in, I was roofing, siding, exterior construction, it was fairly seasonal. So I would say on an average year for three, four years in a row, about $100,000, $110,000 was the before tax income. The differences though, was that I would make a majority of my money would come in the winter months. I kind of live off a $500 or $1,000 a week draw. And then come January or February, once our jobs closed out, I ended up with a $25,000 check. So living kind of paycheck to paycheck and then having a check like that come along, I already knew what I wanted to do with it. And that was put into real estate. If you've been listening to the Simple Passive Cashflow podcast since 2016, you have seen me well change my mind a few times. At one time, I thought buying a bunch of rentals was the way to financial freedom. So you could be that cool guy at the local real estate club with all the other misguided landlords. As I became an accredited investor, I discovered the three-step system that we use today. First, syndication deals where you don't invest with dishonest operators to get better returns than the 401k financial planner garbage. Second step, get passive losses to unlock the tax best practices that the wealthy employ. And last and least impactful, number three, infinite banking. If your net worth is not yet $1 million, check out my free turnkey rental remote e-course at simplepassacashflow.com slash turnkey. All right, speaking to accredited investor to accredited investor, my one, two, three system is very simple to implement, but it requires plugging into a community of purely passive accredited investors like ours. Join our investor club for more insider access. Go to simplepassacashflow.com slash club. Those who are looking to deploy more than $250,000 their first year or make over $300,000 in annual income or net worth over a couple million dollars should really look into our exclusive inner circle called the Family Office HANA Mastermind, FOOM for short. Learn more at simplepassivecashflow.com slash journey. You went to one of these like guru type of mentorship programs. Do you think it was worth it or could you have found the information somewhere else? I, at the time, I would say somewhat worth it. Just personally, keep in mind, this is before, not tooting your horn here, but great mentors like you and free resources that are out there and stuff that you can deep dive into. And before another great place, I find information on bigger pockets. Nowadays, would I, and I've been to different seminars since, weekend seminars that are no cost. And then of course, at the end of it, hey, there's always someone in the back willing to accept a credit card from you. Do I think you need that type of education or upfront at this level or beginning level? No, I don't. Yeah. But these are more like you're going after the wholesaler house flipping type of more active type of investing there. So that's how you, your first few properties, I mean, shoot, you got it for like almost nothing. Yeah. For those of you guys who are listening on the podcast, we're looking at his personal financial sheet and his real estate schedule. So he's picking these things up for 25 grand, 35 grand. But you eventually, 2000, after 2015, 2017, tell us how your strategy changed a little bit. Okay. And uh, you got so, a life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The I was still, it was my last year. I ended up being my last year with that exterior construction company. And Again, how I mentioned that our downtime was in the winter here in the Midwest. You're not building roofs when there's four inches of snow on the ground. It allowed me to have some more time to focus on properties, which I know not everyone does with the traditional schedule. I had saved up some capital again, and I did a portfolio purchase on the next three properties in about 2015 there. Again, just kind of keeping it simple. I paid all cash for them. wasn't looking into financing or anything like that at the time. It was a simple ROI equation for me and still kind of edging on the staying safe as I learned getting more and more properties under my belt. And that was just off like some older dude. You just wanted to carve off some a little <laughs> portfolio that the story was. 
Yeah, a little bit of my mentor is he was retiring, actually. Good for him, as well as a partner he had out there, a couple of their properties. So it was brought to me. One of his other partners wanted to exit real estate as an investment vehicle, and it was a good ROI strategy for me. So I took advantage of it. Yeah, I still got two more Birmingham rentals if you want to. Nah, <laughs> I wouldn't Maybe. buy it. <laughs> uh, but there's a sucker born every day, right? For this stuff. <laughs> yeah. I think you got to go through it. But this time, 2017, 18, is that kind of when your income started to skyrocket or when did that kind of happen? Yeah, it changed into the career I'm in now, medical device sales or medical sales in 2017 and started to see some of the fruits of that labor, essentially doubling my take-home income in 2018, 2019. And this year, I've been fortunate to, to really start putting the gas down, as you can see, 2020 here, I moved in on three slash four homes that single family homes again and changing my process up, which I can speak to a bit, something that everyone's probably familiar with, but really starting to leverage more. So we have some financing out on these other two properties now. This primary residence, you own, you had a loan on it, I think? I do. Yes. Okay. Okay. How much equity do you have in there? Not a lot. I purchased it last month. Okay. So. Cool. That's <laughs> yeah. how we want it to be, man. We don't want to right. own our houses outright. Nope. People Agreed. want to pay them off. If they want to pay it off. They're in a sitting, they're in like a sitting duck. Everybody knows where to sue them and get all their equity from. Um, Agreed. And that's, if you look at the, one of the unique things I was able to do, the first four homes there that I purchased, I was able to actually secure a HELOC and start accessing some of that equity for about $100,000 total, which allowed me, along with my take-home income now, to leverage up and the, the properties there in 2020, again, there's three listed here and there's a fourth one I'm working on. So it allowed me to really start expanding out like what we control and what's under the LLC. Yeah. You're in the Midwest, so $450,000 house. That's pretty nice, I'm guessing. Good for you, man. That's what it's all about. Taking buy doodads like that when you can, when you have rental properties. But it drives me crazy. People whose net worth is under quarter of a million buying half a million, million dollar houses crazy out in California or Hawaii or Washington. I think I, I don't know who it was I read years ago. And one of the things he talks about is, you know, if I may, like moved in with my girlfriend, right? And a lot of people look at that as like an economic bonus, which it is. But really from our point of view, between what we were both paying, my PITI for this property now is about $200 more than just what I was paying. Uh, added bonus of moving in with her is that we can help you know, offset each other's incomes now, but that wasn't the main reason. So yeah, in the Midwest, it's a nice place, but from our cash flow point of view, uh, not having to deal with parking and paying for things like that anymore, it, it really comes out to about even every month of what we were paying. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of people talk about this stuff. Everybody in the fire community is normally very frugal, but I'm, I live more of the fat fight lifestyle. That's after you've done the hard work and you've acquired a bunch of properties. So I think they're doing it the right way. Money's to be spent once you have it making money for you. So let's let's go into this. So you've got the framework is what I'm saying. It's like you've got a means to grow your money exponentially, probably five or 10 times better than the average bear out there. So you can spend your money on some of the things like that. You make a great salary and you bring in a whole bunch of about five grand of real estate income from those rentals. But it's all comes down to this net cash flow at the end of the month, it doesn't matter how much you make, it's how much you save. You're about a hundred grand at least every year. So that's awesome. Like I would say most of my investors at the very least, they're at 30,000. 
the ones that are a little bit better than most are over 50. So you're definitely better than that. So two times that. So you're definitely on the right. If you think about it in terms of velocity and acceleration, you're right on the right. You're going the right speed. You're going in the right speed. But what we got to work on here is the net worth. Because what I'm, what I'm, maybe we can try and dig in here. I'm not seeing why the net worth isn't growing. I would expect you to be above half a million at least at this. In a way, this net cash flow indicator. If anybody has gone to like testosterone doctor, this is like the, uh, I don't know, the six hormone binding glove again. And this is like net worth is your free testosterone. And I'm not a doctor, but they're like, the usually the science, because my friend was telling me about this, is if they look here, this is the indicator, but it's not, it's equating to free testosterone network, something's going on. So we got to figure out what's going on here. So let's look at some of these, okay, the assets, you own a lot of real estate. I think you're good with. Most of these, maybe you have to pull out some equity and get it going, regenerating again. I would recommend doing that return of equity spreadsheet. I think you've taken a look at that, but yep. basically it takes this, but it, it isolates how much equity you have in each of these. And then some, maybe for you, it's not about acquiring more properties, but pruning what you have and taking out the lazy deals. But I think like you're picking up, you're up to a point in your investing career where you get really good deals based on your relationships and you just you already got like crap traps out there for them where most people don't have it but i would say keep doing if that's the case you have good relationships you have good deal flow keep doing it and i think that's what's going on in this property right here the current we have but really look at your existing stuff and figure out where your debt equity is. Anyone in particular that ring a bell? I can look at, yeah, and then that's a great point. I do have a couple of realtors in the area I invest in and I have contractors and I have the team out there that I trust. Clearly, I still put in work myself to, to make sure the system moves as well as possible. The one current appraised value, the 106, that last one I did there was a Burr strategy. I know everyone's familiar with that. So I was able to pull a decent amount of capital back out of that, not dollar for dollar, but fairly close. And then I'm also still holding on to about $50,000 available for my HELOC. So you're right. What's going on with these four properties? There's no debt on it? Correct. Dude, you got to sell this off to some other sucker out there. Unload them all. <laughs> These are just a pain. Yeah. Let me ask you one of the questions or thoughts through my mind is my HELOC is based off of that. So it was 100000 originally. I currently have $50,000 of it available. So in order to sell that, I'm sure I'd have to clear the HELOC or exchange it out in a way. Yeah, but you make so much money every year. You put a 10, 100 grand in the bank every year. Who cares? Yeah. I would just unload that stuff. So package it up in a portfolio to some soccer and sell to them. That's what's typically done. <laughs> now you've become that guy who unloads it to some unsuspecting newbie. Sure. Because here's, I think this is where you're losing sight of the big picture. Is For you, it's nothing on this sheet. It's nothing, no, no properties. It's this tax game. You're getting killed on taxes. You've got a huge amount of ordinary income. So let's, have you ever thought about doing real estate professional status? Are you married now? I am not married and I don't, I've looked into real estate professional status, but with a W-2 job, I'm not sure if I can or I'm not know enough about it. Yeah, you're not, you got to get married. So maybe try and accelerate <laughs> that. But you make a really big salary. And if you just, you accumulated 
more passive losses and you offset that, brought that down, that's where your bigger bang for your buck is. And you're doing a good job acquiring good deals. But now we have to like look at from the other perspective of keeping more of your ordinary income that you bring. And this is where you're not going to find us on the old EP, right? That's just, this is more what the wealthy talk about not paying any taxes. And that's definitely something I'd love to, to talk about more. I've had conversations with my CPA who I feel is fairly qualified. I chose him and their firm because of their real estate background and everything he's told to me to simplify it is I make too much to take certain, of course I can depreciate. I'll start there and I do that, but I make too much to depreciate from my W-2 income or offset from my W-2 income because you're correct. The taxes I get hit with, I'd love to be able to take a chunk away from the government there. Yeah. And I say this all the time, and this is what we talk about a lot in the mastermind. And that is the rule is it's your job to keep, to drive the ship on this. You cannot talk to your CPA about strategy. It's not their job. Their job is due to do the forms. It's your job to understand this and to figure a strategy and then to implement it, and do it. You need to ask them like, Hey, how can we make this real estate professional strategy work. So if I had more passive losses, can you use that at will to do what I want? Because that they're sandbagging you. Yeah, I don't plan on getting married tomorrow. So I know that option's kind of out, yeah. um, but I'd like to explore other options. Yeah. And that's a conversation I know I've tried to have with them 10 months ago or 12 months ago this time as I was preparing for last year's taxes and looking at different opportunities. Yeah, you have to ask the right questions in the right way. And you have to do that. You have to understand how it all works. So what I would ask is, what if I did get married in the next few years and we, and for somehow, let's not talk about it now, but we got to do the real estate professional status, 750 hours active participation. And you're telling them, yeah, let's just say that happens. Whatever we do, we fulfill it. That's a black box in itself. But at what point, what what are my options at that point? Or maybe you put the words in their mouth and you say, if I did that, then can I bring over the passive losses and bring down this W2 income of mine? You're the one kind of driving the ship and asking binary yes or no questions as opposed to open-ended questions. Uh, I love it. I love it. You might just need a, a different guy too, but it's not their it's not their fault. It's not their job. It's like you're doing a rehab and you're telling your contractor, yeah, make me a nice house. Oh, you know what happens when that happens? You're a construction guy. <laughs> don't do <laughs> yeah. that. You definitely don't do that with a CPA who likes their job and wants to remain compliant and take no chances so he can just go home at the end of the day because he's a salary guy. Oh, I, I would agree with that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely would. And I wanted to explore that with you. And I know the other thing I wanted to, to hit on, just me personally, gaining knowledge from you as you've kind of looked through my cash flow and what I have here, some of the capital I'm sitting on right now, I have about even with reserves, about $100,000, I'm looking to deploy. And clearly, I don't want to be the fool standing out in the road holding that sign out, but more just any guidance that, that you might have, the position I'm at, where I'm at, what you would be looking into. Is it moving to syndications? Is it rinse, wash, and repeat with what I'm doing? Yeah. So he, you're what I consider, you're a pro at this stuff, this fur strategy. Most people are not engineers. You're an engineer, construction management background. This is what you should be good at, right? 
Yeah. Most people are just amateurs, right, out there, especially those guys listing, especially if they have a full pay, a good paying job. And you're close to these properties too, you're the state over. So you have the ability to drive over there if that's the case. You can go either way, man. Let's talk through this. You can continue doing this stuff, like more of these rehabs, or you can go down a path of being more passive. Like I feel like at some point, everybody goes passive at some point. Uh, another thing to think about is I have another buddy that does a lot of these types of things too. And he's, yeah, I can't find deals anymore. And I said, yeah, guess what, man? You're not swimming upstream and everybody is catching up with you. All the newbies that started two years ago, they're doing the same thing that you're doing right now. That's why you can't find anything. So you either have to go bigger or stop doing what you're doing. Yeah, I would actually agree with that. Because I've had, like I said, relationships with people I have out in my target area for years. I appreciate that they're not trying to bring me deals that I know I'm going to knock away. And really just some of our recent conversations just with two realtors and brokers I have out there the last three months is there's not much around or margins are thin. And that's definitely been the case of something I'm experiencing as well too. At what point is it for my, we like him, we like the guy, but he's just too needy or he just his criteria he just can't work with he'd rather work with these five new guys from california that don't know anything so be on the lookout for that because when that happens the answer is going to be but i think you're pretty experienced to be a syndication passive investor that's the uh, i don't know if it's a good analogy or i've been offend some people but that's like the microsoft job for computer programmers that's the retirement gig right there that's taking kicking it back you can do probably do better but do you right like the question is where do you where's your highest and best use is it doing these little flips or is it at your day job where do you want to spend your hours yeah no it's a very fair question i really like what i do for my day job but it's very competitive and there's a part of me like probably anyone else but there's five percent in the back of my mind of what if that income is not there next year you go back to $100,000 a year not to say that's a terrible income or anything but that would definitely change my cash flow availability. So it's something to consider. And I do bounce back and forth with it. I've looked into a couple turnkey companies, but I think a lot, it was over the summer, I had a duplex I was looking to move forward on. And long story short on that, the appraisal versus purchase price, we had it appraised twice and we were 15% off each time. So it turned me off from that process that we were just yeah, dude, spinning you, wheels. You shouldn't yeah. work with turnkey companies at this point, yeah. right? You, yeah. like, what are you doing? You're just wasting your time. That's just for newbies who want to put, try the tricycle with training wheels. You're going to, they're going to pay over 10, 20 grand over what you're paying. Yep. So yeah, that I can say for sure is a waste of time. But let me ask you the question again. Do you want to, do you think it's better if you spend your time on your day job and push through that competition or is it just, draining that you don't want to do that you'd rather dial back on the i like my day job i have the time one of the beautiful things about what i do is i dedicate time to work every day but i control my schedule so i'm not stressed for time necessarily and i have a decent enough system with my nine properties currently that it's not robbing me of time clearly you know, a, a general partner or limited partner in a syndication would alleviate a lot of time versus a single family home rental but i can go yeah either way on it still yeah, this is it's hard. Like, Mike, you're like one of these like high performing guys that can do everything, spin 10 plates at once. But if you had to, what would you do? If you, if you had to dig a hole in your backyard every day for four hours, and you, <laughs> your time would be really constrained, what would you do? 
I would not be digging that hole. That's for well, sure. You, you had to if it's insert any time suck type of activity. You have to take care of an aging parent or something like that, or I don't know. Yeah. What would you do? Would you push? What would you drop first? Maybe you don't have to answer that now, but you have to identify. This is all an exercise in identifying what is the one thing and which what's your highest and best use because it can't be both. Yes, if it's both, right? That's yeah. just a sign of somebody who's not self-aware and doesn't realize that they're doing two things bad or they're not tapping their potential in one. I was earlier in the week, I had a call with an out-of-state realtor referred by one of my realtors here and brokers here. And I know moving forward, it would be an out-of-state purchase looking at about two hundred to $250,000 purchase price. And rather than Burr method, just going a little more traditional, putting 20% down. In the back of my mind, I am moving away from these houses that with a mortgage will cash flow me $300 a month. I'm really only looking at and working with her now or having further conversations on a house that's going to cash flow me seven, eight, nine hundred dollars $900 a month. So trying to be more effective with my time. I don't know if that's a path you would take, maybe pick up two or three of those with $100,000 I have deployable. I, I'm i not thinking too much about this, but like I'm feeling like either you keep doing the stuff you're doing, the burrs, the heavy burrs, mm-hmm. or go the opposite end and go LP syndication. I think okay. this what you're describing right now is in the middle. And that sounds like my story. <laughs> Just pick up a <laughs> bunch of turnkeys. Yeah. Trust me, you don't want to do that. Let's talk about this, right? You're going to fast forward a few years, you're going to have a handful of those properties, and then you're going to be paying down your mortgage, your tenant's going to be, uh, or probably might be appreciating your the return on equity is going to go up, but for you to tap that equity is going to be very difficult and costly. And then things are going to break. And it's not a very good way of recycling equity, right? Mm-hmm. It's like when she return on equity goes down, you re-leverage it, get into the next deal. And that doesn't... Secondly, that doesn't solve your problem with taxes, right? Because you're not going to do a cost seg on that and you're not going to get the huge depreciation to play the tax game. What I call the simple passive cash flow gravy train, where you go into bigger deals, you get the bonus depreciation, you use that to offset your active income, if you play, especially if you're playing the real estate professional status part. And then, yeah, easy money at that point, right? You're not, if you keep buying your own rentals, you're going to be able to write it off 127 of the year for 27 years it's lame <laughs> nothing and i think you got to see you got to see this for yourself right like you have to see oh shoot i invested 100 grand i got 50 to 80 grand back in losses oh shoot i used to own when i when if i took that 100 grand i bought two dinky houses i was only going to get maybe four thousand dollars of losses between the two of them for each of them oh okay now i see what the wealth you're doing now i see what this gravy train is all about and I think you're spot on there. I'm trying to remember last year's W-2 was about 220 and my taxes were at federal were at $76,000. So being able to even saving another 5,000 total on those would be tremendous. And, and when you go back and calculate the true ROI, yeah, I think again, you're right on. Yeah. You got to get married though. I'll call her in. <laughs> yeah. But I got some guys who are single and I'm like, yeah, sorry, man. You got all shot. So you can find a way to get your reportable hours down. Not gonna be- well, we're just thinking here for the next two, three years beyond, right? Before you do something like buy some retail products, turnkeys, right? I would strongly say don't do that. 
either it's the example of what you're doing. Maybe you like it, right? I think you enjoy doing the small numbers or go bigger. It's one or the other. There's no, none of this middle ground. Keep doing it yourself. Okay. So stay, but Especially yes. for the taxes. That's what I'm trying to hit upon for the taxes. So that should probably be my biggest takeaway is whatever I'm doing, let's focus it with a better tax strategy in mind. Yeah. So going back to that, you don't have to answer it today, but I, the way I say it, you got three options. First, go all in on the day job and just kick ass there. Just go after three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year, or just go all in on the burst. But I'm thinking there's a pretty good chance that all these newbies, these VP bros are right behind you and they're likely to surpass you because they're a lot more hungrier than you are Yeah, because they don't make the, they don't make a quarter of what you make at your day job. So that's option two. Option three is a moderation of all that. You're like, all right, Lane, you told me I'm, I'm able to put away a hundred grand a year. Yeah, you're good, man. You keep doing that for five more years. You're good. You probably don't have to work for another I'll be surprised if you're still working your day job in 10 years, put it that way. That's been the goal in mind. Every time I acquire one of these single family homes and I can add a true $400, $500 of cash flow after expenses, hey, if I can do two or three of those a year, 10 years goes by, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. So we're not pop the bottles because your net worth is still under a quarter million dollars right now, but you're on the flight path. So the third option that I would consider is keep working your day job, but don't like, don't burn yourself out. Maybe go 70, 80%. Keep making a couple hundred grand a year. But when you have to go on that extra work trip, third work trip a week, maybe don't do it. And keep doing the burrs as they opportunistically come up. I don't know if that's like maybe once a year or something like that. And maybe do syndications too at the same time. So that's the third, the hybrid one. I would suggest doing that as the operating procedure for the next maybe year just to try it out. But at some point, you, I think you have to diverge between those two, all in one or all in the other, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if I'm understanding you in it, I was hoping you have some feedback on that. Continue with 100,000, we'll call it right now. That allows me with my HELOC to pick up another burr and have the capital to do it there, but also allows me with the other 50000 to maybe move into my first syndication and start learning that, educating myself and in greater detail on that. Then you get the K1 and you're like, oh, this is what that passive loss is. You're not going to be able to use it. We got to figure <laughs> out the real estate professional status. Gotta incur incur some costs right before we get there. We're trying to build a plan for the next decades Mm -hmm. to come. Tax taxes might change too. You're always trying to find a way anyway. I think recording this run on to election time, it doesn't matter who wins, doesn't really matter. Your heads I win, heads tails I win is the same. But yeah, that's what I would suggest in the mic, get a little more fine-tuned there. If you have a hundred grand of liquidity, what I would do is start an infinite banking thing now, maybe just put in a hundred or 10 grand a year for six years. So you, you get the sense of playing around with that. You're a little inefficient with your liquidity. So that's perfect, right? For infinite banking. Then you, know, you actually, put, you yeah, put the money, in, put the money in and then you take it out. Yeah. Oh, you said you started that already or? I did. Yep. Okay. Okay. Cool. What did you end up doing? Like how much per year and then how long? 30,000 a year for five to seven years. Okay. 
Yeah, minimum 10 up to 30. That's how we structured it. Just giving myself some leeway. So you have a cash value of like 50 grand now or something with a couple of years I do in. not. I'm at with the cost of doing business, as we'll call it. I'm one year in, so there's a full 30 in and cash value is about 25, 20, just shy of 25,000. Okay. Maybe talk to your guy because I know you can front load, the, you can do double payments on your first year. You can backdate the other one. Maybe see if you can still do that. Okay. Because if you're sitting on a hundred grand, you might as well have it do something. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Yeah, but yeah, just a hundred grand for you to do your fur hobby is more than enough. What I'm trying to see, and maybe in the next few years, you'll see develop is, do you enjoy doing that? If you enjoy it, cool, keep doing it. I enjoy it right now as I sit here and talk and it's, everything looks good on paper. Do I enjoy when the well system has failed or when I'm dealing with a call that's not taking place right now? No, I don't. So it's, you got to put yourself in that mindset of all the stuff that you seem like you had, or at least myself, I handle as it comes up and you don't really calculate all that time like you were going through in the past. And yeah. realistically, it, it can be a lot of time if you don't stay on top of it. Yeah. I just never, either way, you're going to have to take a risk with a person, but I just don't mm-hmm. trust working with guys under $2 million net worth because um, house flipper or inspector, they just, you just have no recourse over those guys and they'll screw you over for 20, 30 grand. Well, yeah. It's a lot of money to them. So not saying it can't happen in syndication deals, but usually working with bigger players who can who care about more about the relationship than making stealing people's money like that. But yeah, and that's clearly why I'm talking with you and continuing to educate myself. That's definitely the direction I want to go. It's just when do I get off the smaller boat and maybe move to a the mid-size vessel is where we're at. Yeah. And so the way I see it, it's either the mid-sized vessel is you doing those turnkeys, the hundred, two hundred thousand dollar ones. Yep. Again, I would say either keep in the small stuff in your rowboat, which is cool. You're making great returns, but it's not scalable. Pair that with a cruise ship. Well, mm-hmm. Nobody wants to ride on a cruise ship these days, but call it Noah's <laughs> Ark. And I wrote that down. I think that's where I was already mentally leaning and have been thinking about it for a while. I think I keep a little capital aside to allow me to take advantage of what I've built when it comes to burrs and things like that. And then the other half of that capital to at least start getting more comfortable with the syndication process, K1s, learning about that. Same way, I guess you could say, as I started with this in 2014 on a smaller scale. Yeah. Like, for example, like this stuff has got to go tomorrow. Okay. Your job is to rehab or stuff, create value. This is not doing anything. And what's worse, there's no debt on it. This is horrible, man. What are you doing? That does have, that's the HELOC. So I was able to access. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so that's the only, not issue necessarily. I was able to access $100,000 HELOC. Currently have a balance of about 50000 yeah. on it. That's a good deal for the bank. That's why they're giving that to you. Yep. Yep. On, on not owner occupied HELOCs, getting it all the leverage. But yeah, I would say just use, try and unload it, get the equity out. Okay. Because these are like finished widgets. You're just holding on to the finished widget. And this is the same reason why people are like on the syndication deals. Why do you guys always sell it? So it depends, right? Market conditions. But once you've done all the rehab, like you've increased the value, like how you did here, essentially it's something like this right? There's mm-hmm. no potential to bump the value. So we unload it so we can do more of these. But 
but just kind of holding on to it. And I would say, I tell you that now and I push you on it because I know this is going to take a year or two to sell <laughs> unless you package it up and yeah. make some sob story that you're retiring. Yeah. Where'd you get that? Oh, he's the old investors retiring. You know, he's trying to unload his portfolio out of his retirement account. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, it's, I'm, is there a little emotional attachment to it? Sure. That's how I built this. You're right. It's just, when I look at it, the one true nice thing, I, true ROI on these is cash on cash return is close. If ROI is over 20% and cash on cash has been over 20% on them. So it's been nice, but yeah, at some point you're right. This is causing me more time and effort where I need to be leveraging and scaling it up more. Yeah. And on these ones, but you have tenants in here. You have tenants in all of them, right? Yeah. Everyone's tenanted except for the uh, current rehab. The, throw them up on Roofstock. They can, that way you don't lose the rents, the monthly rents coming in. They can okay. sell it for you, uh, tenanted. But you can put, I would put them all on there. It's like a, a make me sell price, like a little higher, 5%, 10% of what you think it is, just to see if you can find some sucker to buy it. But I would be more motivated on these four. Okay. Yeah. And I'm in my target area, I'm getting yellow letters and I, my fair market valuable, fair market value is probably pretty spot on because anytime I talk to a wholesale buyer, they're five, 10% below what I have marked at fair market value. And then that'd be the path I'd probably go to do a package together. And then as far as taxes, when you sell this stuff, you're going to pay the capital gain and depreciation recapture. I'm thinking because you've owned these properties for a while, you probably have a lot of passive losses built up to offset that, but that's where the syndications come in. That'll, that'll restock those passive losses as you sell these. When I sold, I had 11 rentals, like in your position here, 2018, I sold seven of them and I had a $200,000 capital gain, but I had well over a few hundred thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars of passive losses. So I brought over 200 grand offset at one for one. So it negated that time. That's, that's the trickery right there. The, the Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones, swapping out the, whatever that thing was. I'm not sure. When the movie, he like takes the thing and he puts oh. the other, the bag of sand on it. To offset yeah. It. Okay. Yeah. So you got to have the passive losses ready to go. And I'm pretty sure you do because you do only for a while and substantial amount of real estate. But once I think once you start to roll through the third or fourth one, you're going to need the passive losses from the syndication deals to offset it. And this is why I say, I don't know why anybody does 1031 exchanges. Yeah, I agree. And I actually learned a lot of that from you because that was taking it back years ago. That was when you go to those weekend events, seminars, things like that, they always leave like a, a breadcrumb of information. And I, when I learned about that at age 20, 22, I thought that was one of the coolest things ever, 1031 exchange. And then not to say it can't be useful, it can. But when you really start reading the fine print, it's you got to get pretty specific and hit a certain metric to, for it to really make sense. Yeah. It drives me crazy too. People think, oh, have you heard of the self-directed IRA? <laughs> yeah, it's only a good in certain situations. But they, these guys, they try and sell. The problem is like these guys who sell that stuff, they only have one product. And that's either 1031 exchange, a self-directed IRA, or the QRP. And they think mm -hmm. that it's like, they try and sell it like it's like the end-all be-all. But there's nobody, that's why I do what I do. There's nobody that can cut through all the crap and tell you which tool to use in the big toolbox. Right. And be unbiased about it. I couldn't agree more with you. And honestly, just 
even simple stuff you break down on your website and things like that, that I appreciate that if, for instance, as I'm going to look into capital gains and okay, just double check what I already thought I knew and help read through the process on that from someone else's perspective, honestly spelled out like I'm a 10 year old and that's how I like to learn. Yeah. I mean, for, the funny thing is like for more affluent people, it's easier, right? Yeah. This is the complicated stuff. All this first stuff you're doing that's the super complicated stuff and i give you props man that's hard <laughs> but it's the only way i knew in in the beginning it was the only way i knew so now as i've learned more yeah i appreciate it but yeah there's definitely easier paths i would agree is anything else you want to chat about or no this is this forward? has been great kind of reaffirming i think where i'm going to fall on here is continuing my day job in the burr world as you can put it even though it's not my day job but i want to take that next step into the cruise ship and really start jumping into the syndication world and gaining some experience there cool well, if you guys want to check out more of these types of videos we put it on the youtube channel I think we put it under like the coaching call section, but if you guys want to do one of these, you guys have to acknowledge that it's going to go out to the free world and sign up for the investor club, simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. And you can get the first three modules to the e-course. But yeah, thanks for doing this, Mike. I think it helped out a lot of people. Every situation is unique, but really there's only six or seven different scenarios. So. <laughs> I hope I helped anyone I could. And yeah, thank you for uh, assisting me.